in the sight of the king, if it pleases the king, to grant my petition and fulfill my request, and let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Haman went out that day joyful with a glad heart. And when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. He sent to call for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced down above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. Tomorrow, I am again invited to find her along with the king. Yet all this about me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends sent in. Let the gallows be made, fifty cubits high, in the morning, suggesting to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Now, obviously, uh, previous weeks you've been uh, looking at the fact that. Prior to this occasion, where Mordecai is now greatly distressed, that there has been a decree pronounced by the king, schemed and devised by the wicked man Haman, that the Jews were sentenced now for destruction. And uh, the, the, of course, the, as you may well know, this book of Esther sits in, uh, historically in the times when uh, the, the Jews are still uh, not fully returned from their captivity in Babylon. Now the Persians are ruling in this in the land. Um, the Book of Esther sits roughly between uh, the sort of second returning to the land, um, Nehemiah being the final one, the third, the third return. And it's around this time the Book of Esther, and there are still they estimate possibly up to 15 million Jews still dotted in around Persia, who are now all sentenced to destruction by this decree, the law uh, of the king that's been devised by this wicked man, Haman. And uh, uh, we learned in the earlier chapters that Queen Vashti has been disposed of, and Esther is now queen, who is a Jew. I take it that's certainly not really probably known that she was a Jew. Um, it certainly seems as if the fact that uh, uh, not many people perhaps knew her background, Haman, um, in our chapters tonight, doesn't seem that, uh, doesn't seem to know what's going on with Esther calling his banquet with him and the king to uh, explain to the king what Haman has done. Um, but she is a, a Jew and she is a queen at this time and uh, it's a distressing time for the Jews. They have been sentenced to death. As has been their history in the past, this is not, of course, the first time when this has happened that it's happened many times since, but God has always, he's faithful to his promises, and he's faithful to his people, and he promises to protect his people, because he still has a purpose and a plan for his people, and um, we see that in the book of Esther. So there is much contention between this man, Mordecai, who has looked after Esther, and uh, and Mordecai, uh, as you may have thought about in previous weeks, is of the tribe of um, Benjamin, um, which is of the line.
line of uh, Saul. You remember Saul was a Benjamite. And you have Haman, who is um, from the Amalekites originally, a descendant of Agag. And you remember it was the Amalekites that attacked the children of Israel when they were heading towards uh, their land. And when they came out of e um, Egypt, they were the ones that were picking them off in the rear, picking off the weak and the vulnerable. And um, it was, remember, it was Saul that God commanded that they were to completely, that he was to completely destroy the Amalekites. And Saul uh, sadly disobeyed the command of the Lord and didn't completely destroy the Amalekites. And so there's probably much tribal tension between uh, these two men. But God's word is still uh, true and he will, uh, he was going to still protect his people through all of these uh, events that were taking place. And so Haman um, uh, has devised this scheme where he's going to destroy Mordecai and also all of the Jewish people. And um, you may have thought of the fact that, um, as we looked at this previous week, uh, excuse me if I'm repeating things, but due to holidays and whatnot, I've not, not been here, but um, God's name is not specifically um, mentioned in the book of Esther, um, but um, it is still, I think that for, that's the case for a, a reason. Um, this is uh, one of those occasions when we think of the story of Esther, when we think specifically around the providence of God, that God is um, in control, um, even in the small things, even in small circumstances, he is in control of, of people, he is in control of everything. He is sovereign and orchestrating everything for his purposes, even when those things seem bad. Remember, it was Joseph that told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so really we think about the providence of God through the book of Esther, though he's not uh, directly mentioned, he is still working um, and uh, working for his people to bring about his purposes. Actually, if you read a, uh, as a man from Sidlo Baxter, who points out that actually God's name is hidden in the Jewish in the, in the Hebrew text four times in an acrostic, which in Hebrew is almost impossible or very hard to do, so it's very deliberately uh, put there. Uh, four times, twice in chapter 5, and what we read, and it's always at a critical time in the book. But that's uh, why the Bible not necessarily trying to find secret things in the text, but there's still, uh, God is still very much working and we see that, especially at the end of uh, chapter 4, um, I think that's a really key section uh, for Esther that we'll think about in just a moment. So Esther is in the palace, she's not uh, allowed to go before the king unless he specifically calls. Um, the king would have been lived in his palace and it was really separate from all the people. Um, they were to live in um, their own bubble. Um, no bad news was to be brought before the king. Um, and uh, very much isolated and uh, you weren't allowed to come towards the king unless you were invited. And uh, Esther lives within the palace, also really within that bubble and uh, outside of what is going on. We certainly see she doesn't seem to be aware of what's taking place. But we 
pick up the story in chapter 4 where Mordecai comes in great distress. He's making it uh, not afraid to make a loud scene. He's crying out aloud in a bit of cry. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes that which they would put on to dress themselves when they're in mourning. Because this is a terrible um, tragedy uh, for the history of his people that they were all set to be destroyed. And so he comes to Esther to uh, explain to her what is going on in order that she might go before the king and intercede for her people. For she was a Jew also. Mordecai, however, can't reach Esther. He can't, when dressed as he is, he can't, he's not allowed within the palace. There was certainly wasn't allowed to bring people who were mourning into the place where the king lived. He didn't want to be troubled um, with such people. So he wasn't allowed in. And he has to send this message to Esther. No Zoom in those days, no Skype or Microsoft Teams. And they have to use um, one of Esther's servants. And really, there's, we get the sense when this dialogue goes between the two that, that it doesn't really replace that face-to-face -face meeting. You know, these are all these are all well and good, but I take it Mordecai doesn't isn't able to get the full uh, understanding of what how Esther feels about the situation. Uh, they're unable to convey to each other. I take it when you read this text fully, how the other is feeling and what they are to do. It seems from Mordecai's point of view that Esther seems afraid to act. She's not prepared to act on behalf of her people. And he speaks quite sternly to her. Uh, we read that he says, you know, you're not going to escape, you're a Jew as well. Um, but I think perhaps instead of being too harsh on Esther, there's just that point that it's difficult when there's that middle person trying to convey that message between us, nothing quite beats being able to speak to each other directly. And uh, certainly this servant of, of Esther has such an important part to play. You know, he's, he's named for us, and uh, he um, probably didn't realize what important role he was applying, that he was uh, carrying out in the providence of God. He is in control of these things. And uh, it's important that, that Esther was to go in before the king. And so God, yeah, through this, these circumstances, he has, he has a purpose. He, has, he, is, he will accomplish his will um, within the world. And we can learn that um, God accomplishes his purposes through people. And uh, we see that very clearly here with uh, Esther's servant, with Esther, with Mordecai, that these people were all playing uh, a role uh, within the providence of God to protect and preserve his people who God has faithfully, uh, has promised and will faithfully hold his promise to protect his people. And so God accomplishes his purposes then through people. Um, he accomplishes his pur purposes even if his people have failed to obey them. And uh, we also discover in these chapters that God always accomplishes his purposes in his own time. God is never in a hurry. We might think that God should act quicker than he does, but God is always acting perfectly within the right 
the book of Esther is, is over seven years. You know, it takes some time before Esther actually becomes queen. Uh, she's, she's queen for a few years before these events are taking place. And uh, so God is, is, is moving. He's moving at the right time to bring about his purposes. And uh, he will accomplish it through the people and through the circumstances that he is in control of uh, that we're reading of in these verses. Um, we might not always necessarily know the bigger picture of what God is doing. Um, Esther, isolated in her bubble perhaps, doesn't fully know what's even going on around her, let alone the true uh, plan that God has. We can't see, we don't have that perspective, do we? We don't have that, that view. And often the way we see things going is not how we think they should go. And uh, we fail to perhaps see things uh, the way God does. But nonetheless, um, God is still accomplishing his purposes and we just are called to obey him uh, in what he has asked us to do. So Esther then has this great decision to make, uh, probably the most important one of her life, and uh, Mordecai uh, is, is, is very uh, forthcoming of what he says to her, and uh, he says, you know, maybe, um, for if you, verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Talking about God still bringing back his purposes even if his people fail to obey him. Um, Mordecai certainly had faith that uh, God would preserve his people. It wasn't to be with Esther. And it would be with somebody else that God would raise up to preserve his people. And uh, Mordecai certainly has, has faith in the promises of God, promises that were shared with all the Jewish people. They were told every generation was to teach uh, the next generation the promises and, uh, of God and the law of God, and so they would have known these things. And Mordecai says, you know, if you won't do it, God will raise somebody else. But he says, yeah, who knows? Whether you have come to the kingdom, such a time as this. Really, I think, quite a key part to the book of Esther, that here we see the, the real providence of God. Maybe, Esther, the reason you're a queen, the reason you're the queen to the most powerful man in the world at this point in time, is that for this very moment, that you would go in and intercede for the people and, 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 and bring about their deliverance and freedom for your people. You know, we often sometimes don't wish maybe we weren't living at the time of life that we do live. You know, think, oh, I wish I'd lived in such and such day. Life is all so much harder now, we've got things much harder. Well, God has called us to live in a time that we are within now, within the present. Not some other time, or some time in the future. God has called us for this very reason, for this present time to live our lives for him. And Mordecai points this back out to, to Esther. You know, maybe this is the real reason, maybe this is the very reason why you are in such a position as you are now, Esther, is to um, fulfill God's purposes in interceding for your people. And so it's a real critical point in the book, um, real critical point for 
Esther and her, within her life, uh, would she go before the king? And everything was against Esther. You know, we, we read quite clearly that it was against the law for anyone to go stand before the king. Um, she wasn't allowed to just go and uh, interrupt the king at any given point in time. Uh, she was a Jew and she too was uh, sentenced to destruction as a decree um, along with all the other Jews. She was a woman. And in those days, the, the women would have held much power or sway. And uh, everything was, a, was set against Esther. And it was for her now to decide whether she would, as Mordecai was encouraging her to do, to go forth in front of the king and intercede for her. She too had not been called towards the king for some 30 days. Obviously, this was some long period of time. And perhaps she had fallen uh, out of the king's pleasure and in some way he was displeased with her, uh, which is why she hadn't been called before the king till now. So everything is against Esther, and she has a decision to make. Uh, and um, what she says to Mordecai, the first thing is this. She says, you need to fast and pray. We need to fast and pray. And uh, this is what they do. She said, you know, me and my... Maid servants will do the same, and Mordecai goes away and does the same, that they would that they would have this period of prayer and fasting before she goes in before the king. And then she says to Mordecai, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You know, I, I take it here really this is um, real uh, faith on Esther's part and obedience to go in and intercede for her people. A bit like uh, a similar kind of expression that you remember Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expressed before King Nebuchadnezzar, before they're thrown into the fiery furnace. You know, you remember they said to, they said to the king, well, you know, we won't bow down to you. And uh, maybe God will deliver us, and, uh, but maybe he won't. But either way, we won't bow down to you and uh, Esther here, I take it, really expresses a similar thing. She says, I will go before the king, and if I perish, then I perish. These things are in God's hands. These things are in the Lord's hands. But she would be faithful and obedient, and uh, she would go before and intercede for her people. And so God is just working in all these things. Uh, he's working on the heart of the king. Uh, we read in Proverbs uh, 21 that the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. That's one of those incredible things if you trace it through the scriptures, how God is actually in control of how people think. Um, you get that with, with Daniel and Daniel 1, with, with, with Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, with, with, with the man that was set over Daniel and his three friends in those early years that he was moved to Babylon, how, how God was actually in control of how that man thought towards his friends and Daniel. And uh, we often worry about speaking out for, uh, for God or, or acting out in obedience and faith because we worry about what other people might think of us. But actually we should be more fearful of a God who is able to control what people think of us and, is, and has uh, in his providence and in his sovereignty has, is, 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 is able to do 
um, these things. And so the scriptures tell us that the, the hearts of kings are in uh, the hand of the Lord. And uh, uh, God, is, as, as we know from the scriptures, he is, he is um, in control of those of the powers of be, and they are ordained of God. And uh, he allows certain things to happen to accomplish his purposes. Um, and so Esther goes before the king. Uh, that which was uh, illegal against the law, but of course, as we read, uh, king holds up his scepter to Esther, and she finds grace, we read, in the, in the eyes of the king. Ultimately, really, if the king's heart is uh, in, in the hands of the Lord, then Esther really is ultimately finding grace um, before the Lord himself in these, in these matters, in her obedience and uh, in, in interceding for her people. And the king says to her, you know, what, what is it that you want, Esther? What is your request? And uh, there was, there was, uh, he's fine. she finds favour before him and he says, you know, whatever, up to the half of the kingdom. In other words, whatever it is you want, Esther, we'll, I'll give it to you. And uh, Esther then says, well, come to the banquet with Haman tonight. And uh, we read of um, uh, uh, of these events, and it was seen as if Esther's stalling. You know, perhaps she was just like, a little bit fearful to tell the king in that moment of time um, what it was that was going on, how the Haman was plotting all these things against her and her people. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that's that is really the case. She does it again. Um, she says after they come to that banquet that night. Uh, the Queen Esther says to the king, come tomorrow to the banquet, uh, in, verse, in verses 12, and I'll tell you my request. But there is one more thing that has to happen before, before the, the Queen tells the king what her request is. Uh, we don't read it in these chapters, because this is all happening in the providence of God. He is, he is controlling these things, there is a delay here for a reason, uh, because the Queen needs to have a night where it is asleep. And in the night that the king doesn't sleep, the king reads about the fact that Mordecai saved the king's life in the history books. And the king is going to reward Mordecai. And uh, these things have to happen before Esther tells the king what's going on. So it may seem like she's stalling, it may seem like it's delayed, whether it is or whether it isn't. We can certainly see that in the providence of God, it's not going to happen right now at this point in time. Because the king needs to have a night where he doesn't sleep before she tells him what's going on. And so God um, <clears throat> is working in the circumstances and in the people. And uh, in the right time, Esther will tell the king what is taking place. Right when Haman makes a real <clears throat> um, uh, uh, fool of himself, right at the very point where he thinks this is all for his benefit, we read at the end of, the, of our chapter the pride that's lifted up in Haman's heart, how he boasts to his family and his friends. Uh, we see, um, if you compare Haman, really, his emotions in these past few in the last few verses of, of chapter 5, you see his emotions are all over the place. One moment he's joyful, the next moment he's angry, <clears throat> then he's proud and arrogant. Uh, he's ungrateful, 
there's real manners towards um, Mordecai. Then he's excited again about going to the feast. You know, his emotions uh, are all right over the place. And uh, they, they, they stand in contrast to a, a, a real calm and collected woman in Esther who is, who is, is self-controlled as she stands before the king, um, which was a fearful thing. But she stands before the king and she eventually uh, she tells the king at the right time what Haman has done, what he has plotted. And uh, there is a, there's a woman uh, whom God is with her uh, in, in the patience and self-control that she shows. Real contrast to Haman and the way he behaves and his uh, inability to control how he thinks or how he feels and all these things. And uh, I, I just trust these two thoughts and these a uh, couple of chapters, you might just be encouraged that um, we, can, we can know that our God is sovereign and through his providence he is working in all the circumstances of our life. Um, in the big things in the world, we might not understand what's going on. We can take comfort in the fact that God is bringing about his, his purposes, looking after his people, he's looking after his church. And even in the, God is interested even in the very small things, the day-to-day -day things in our lives. Um, that God accomplishes his purposes through his people. And uh, we can uh, uh, take great courage in the fact that God has chosen to use us. And maybe it's for this very time that we were supposed to be here, like this, uh, serving him for some specific reason. And might we just be brave enough, like Esther was, to say um, that I will go and uh, intercede for my people and do these things before the king. Why don't we just uh, uh, enjoy these thoughts and just uh, take them to heart as we talk about them together.